Hey, can we put our hands together for Jesus? Come on, have you got a reason to be grateful? Have you got a reason to be thankful? If God's done anything good in your life, if you're not who you used to be, talk like how you used to talk, walk like how you used to, come on, you're not celebrating me, we're celebrating the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, come on, if he's changed you, if he's saved you, if your spouse is different, if your kids are different, if you smile bigger, come on, can we just give God a loud, audacious, full of faith, shout of praise this morning. Why don't you uh, turn to two to three people as you get comfortable and just say, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here. Turn to your favorite neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, he's here. I feel like this is known for most of you and for those of you that are new to this type of discourse, uh, it will eventually make some sense. But we need to understand that when we're not just saying he's here, we're not just saying it hypothetically but we're saying it factually. See, the Bible tells us, and this is such good news, this is a great way to start a service. The Bible tells us that when we worship him, when we actually worship Jesus, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. That means he makes himself at home. He moves into the room. He shows up when we praise. And we've been worshiping him all morning, not just at service, but when you were getting ready this morning, that was an act of worship. When you're a parent, how many parents in here, and you're waking your kids up and brushing their teeth and braiding their hair, come on, props to you, that was an act of worship. When you're driving three minutes or 30 minutes or three hours to get here, all of that was an act of worship. When we sang, it was worship. When we gave, that was worship. Which means, as you've been worshiping him today, the infinite one who time cannot contain, the God who carved the heavens with a breath, he's not standing off at a distance. He is not standing in the throne rooms of heaven right now, untouchable or unreachable, hoping that we'll do something or say something that will capture his attention so he'll finally give us a glimpse or potentially a gaze. That's not what's going on. The Bible says that as we've been worshiping him, he's moved into the room. That means the God that conquers death. That means the God that eradicates sickness. That means the God that heals all disease. The God who brings you know, chaos and turns it into absolute calmness. That God's in the room right now take a moment for a second he's in the room right now which means sickness has to leave your body right now which means where there's no joy there will now be joy there's no peace there will now be peace that surpasses understanding he's just the good news is that we didn't just show up the good news is that God showed up with us because it would be a tragedy and a travesty to come to church without God being present it would be the worst room in the world to be in to talk about something that never shows up. But just so you know, God's here, which means anything that you need, you're searching for, you're looking for, is right now at your fingertips. We have a God that's not just on your side, but we have a God that's physically right now by your side. He's as close to you as he'll ever be right now. So take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Like you don't have to wait for me to pray for your sickness by name. You don't have to wait for me to give you a prophetic word to get a prophetic word. Don't reduce what God wants to do through what I'm doing. Because God's in the room. I'm on the stage, but God's in the room. Come on, somebody. And it is, a, it is an honor and a privilege uh, to be here and to be with you guys and have some moments with you. And first and foremost, I love, I get to say, our pastors. 
I love our pastors. I, I, I've known Pastor Mark and Rochelle for so many years. It seems like it's probably almost 18 years now, and I've spoken at conferences with them. I saw everything they built in Idaho, which was absolutely unbelievable what God was doing up there in Boise, you know, at that university. I've watched the anointing on his life, and I'll never forget, they came down. It was Mark and Rochelle, Pastor Mark and Rochelle, and it was me and my wife, and we went out to lunch at the Monarch and sat there looking at the view, and they said, hey, we're, we're sitting down to tell you guys we feel we're going to be starting a church. And I'll never forget. And we gave money. I was like, For whatever you guys do, we're going to be invested. And I remember him sharing a vision. He said, we're going to call it Oceans. And we see a church at every major ocean in the world. I remember saying it. And I would just so you guys know, if you've done church before, leadership before, pastors before, I'm a pastor's kid. I've been around church my whole life. I sat there and I said, I'm just so thankful I'm listening to a local pastor with a global vision. I was just so thankful. I said, Mark, when I left that meeting, what I just felt was how big your vision is. And I'll tell you, people ask me in my own life when I used to speak all the time, where do you love to preach? Where do you love to go? What's your favorite churches? They always ask. And basically what they're asking is, where's the greatest response? Like, where's your favorite churches? And I, my answer back in the day would be where there's so much faith that I can get up on the stage and say anything and go anywhere in faith and never be limited by the leader. When you're in a room, when there's so much yes and amen in faith, because I'm only allowed to release what can be stewarded. I might release it, but if it can't be stewarded by leadership, I'm doing more damage than good. But when a leader says, no, 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 we're going to touch the globe. We're going to touch the world. We're going to have locations everywhere. And what's amazing about them, as you guys know, is that there's just so much fruit wherever they go and whatever they do. I can just tell you, I know them personally on and off the stage. If you're wondering if this is going to be a home church for you, I encourage you, like, this would be a phenomenal place. Because the Bible says you don't know leaders by their gifts or judge them by their gifts. You judge them by their fruit. So important for us as developing Christians to not praise people because they have a talent or a gift. Because the Bible says the gifts of God can't be withdrawn. Can't be, they're irrevocable. Which means what God gave you, he doesn't take back. So if you have the ability to write or to sing or to dance or to create or to create wealth or to build enterprise or industry or to talk or to communicate or to cognitively process, well, that's your gift. Amen. I'm not going to praise you for your gift. It was given to you. But what you do with your gift is fruit. And what's amazing about your leaders is they're not just saying, look at our gifts. They're saying, look at our fruit because gifts are given, but fruit is grown. And the thing about Pastor Mark and Rochelle, and if you ever watch this, there's fruit everywhere you go. Every conversation you have, every room you walk into, every life you've loved, every church you've spoken at. Can we just take a moment to honor Pastor Mark and Rochelle and our incredible leaders? I always say healthy churches are a result of healthy leaders. And man, do we need healthy churches, which means we desperately need healthy leaders. And we found some healthy leaders in a healthy church here. Amen. Amen. I'm also uh, really excited to be here because I don't do this much anymore. Like this, this speaking at churches, um, I'm still doing speaking, but in different environments. I actually forgot how to hold the mic. Don't know what I'm doing. I'm just joking. Everyone's like worried about the next 40 minutes. Like, oh, no, we're in bad hands. No, I just, we were in a season of life where we were, you know, doing this a lot. And when we started looking at the math, it was about four months gone a year. Like literally, I mean, there's, I remember one trip we went to Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa, and I preached like 30 times in 29 days. And like, it was awesome. It was an incredible season. 
Uh, but then I felt God, it was really before COVID, said, I want you to come off of the road. I want you basically to work on some stuff no one's talking about. Uh, would you hide yourselves um, and figure out some things that are going to change the world? And so I'm only doing this about five, you know, I say no to 95% of everything. And then I just, you know, go to about five to seven places a year, pretty much max. Which means for me, this is, it might not be for you, but this is extremely significant for me. I got about 17 hours of content that I'm going to try to get out in seven hours. So just get comfortable. Just get comfortable. Someone just walked out. They're like, oh, nope, wrong. Wrong service. No, what it, what it really means is, is um, I'm very aware that we're sharing something special right now. We are going to have an experience together because we're sharing the same measuring metrics of the human experience called time. And I want to thank you for those that, one, have never been in a room like this or invested or got here or drove. I'm not entitled to your time. And I'm not entitled to your attention. I'm not entitled to you to open up your heart right now or to open up your ears right now. I'm not entitled for you to be transparent with me as I attempt desperately to be transparent with you. And I know we won't get this moment back. So if I preach like a man who's communicating his last message, understand that it could be. Because I'm not entitled to tomorrow. I'm not entitled to next month or next year. No one knows our days or our minutes. So thank you for having this human experience with us together that I believe is going to be more than a human experience, but also a supernatural, eternal experience together. And, and because I'm doing this less than I normally do, and I care so much about you, if I had my way, we would all just, you know, do one-on-one -on -one coffees for the next two months together to just really talk about the stuff that's going on. Because what I know is although we just went to a mountaintop in worship, which was unbelievable, by the way, this team and the presence of God is here. And what I know is that many of you put on your Sunday's best and, you know, you put on some cologne or some perfume. You took that weekly bath. We're so happy you bathed today. <laughs> One bath is Sunday. Thank you for doing it. Uh, but I know that although we had a mountaintop experience, or you look beautiful on the outside. We all know this is the most attractive church in California. You look beautiful. And that was a great time for the girls to say, amen. But this is the most attractive church in California. I, I do know that that's not where all of us live every day. I do know that so many of you have walked into the room today hurting. So many of you have walked into the room today broken. So many of you have walked into the room today confused. So many have walked into the room today, can I be honest, angry. Angry. Frustrated. What I know is although we're doing our best to look good on the outside, man, there's some stuff that's mixed up and mixed up on the inside. And what I do know is although some of us might be in the best season of our life, statistically and probably that is not all of us. And I don't know what your story is, and I don't have time to try to identify all of it. But if we were to have a moment of transparency, and that's what I hope we do in honesty, your conversation could be one at home of your being honest, of looking at the state of your life, your circumstance. You know, maybe you've been married for a few years or 10 years, and you've been trying to have kids, and... You haven't, and you don't know why, and maybe you've done IBF. I'm getting really specific, and you're starting to just, if we're being honest, ask this question at night, ask this question in the morning, reading the Bible, looking at God. Is, is this it? Is this all that my life's going to be? Is this what my life's going to look like? Am I going to be barren? Am I going to have no legacy? 
Is no one going to carry my last name? It's a desire of my heart, God, but it's been a long time. Is this it? Is this all that my life is going to be? Or maybe you're here today and you grew up in a family that just was constantly struggling financially, maybe on welfare, maybe on food stamps, never getting ahead, never having enough. Abundance would be the farthest thing from defining your life or your finances. And you've tried and you've worked hard and you still haven't gotten ahead and you don't have a reserve account and you might have just lost a third or fourth job and you're back into that same cycle of social welfare and you're starting to ask yourself the question, is this, is this it? Is this all that my life is going to be? Or maybe you're here today and you got a deep, dark addiction. You've been dealing with it. You've been talking about it. You've been trying to get help. And can I just let everyone else know who doesn't have an addiction? Like you don't have an addiction. Like people that are addicted don't always want to be addicted. I think it's great. Like I work with hurting, broke, broken, lost people. And there's so many people that can't get out but want to. I mean, they're pleading and wanting and being accountable. And they go to the prayer meetings and they respond during the altar calls. And it hasn't stopped yet. And they haven't got out of that cycle. And maybe you're here today being like, Jedediah, I've done the prayers. I've said the prophetic declarations. I got accountability and I'm still in this cycle. I'm still not ahead of it. I still need it. I still can't get out of it. Is this it? Is this going to be the, my whole life? Or maybe you're sitting here and you're 46 and you're stunning. You know it. And you're still single. Right? Guy or girl. You're in that stage of life where people have said, you missed the mark, and now you're going to have to settle, and you've processed settling. You've processed going, I'll just have to take him, or I'll just have to date her. I'll just, I'll have to settle. And you've started to ask yourself, God, I believe you, and I love you, and all my friends are getting married, and how many weddings am I going to go to? I don't want to be another bridesmaid. I want to be the stinking bride. Is this it? Is the rest of my life going to be attending weddings and never being the main show at one? Is this, or maybe you have such an incredible gift, a skill set, a capacity. You have something that's so unbelievable, but no one's seen it yet. It's never come out. You've got a book in you, you've never written it. A movie in you, you've never made it. A song in you, you've never sung it. You've got this talent and no one's identified it. And you've just started saying, is this it? Am I always going to be overlooked? Am I always going to be picked last? Am I always going to be forgotten? Is anyone going to see what I think I see? Am I going to sit sidelined for the rest of my life celebrating other success? Is this? I'm sorry for being real. I don't have time. Is this it? Maybe you were going to get that scholarship and you didn't get into college. And they said, no, maybe you were going to get that job and it was going to change everything. And they didn't give you that job. Maybe you were about to get married and she walked away. I don't know what it is, but you've just started to look at the reality of the moment. And is this it? Is this all that my life is going to be? Is this my story? And the great news is, For those of you that would be honest enough with me and real enough with me to say that's what you've been thinking, the great news is is it's still a question and not a declaration. There's something so significant that you haven't said it's final and that you haven't said it's finished 
and that you haven't said it's over. There's a drastic difference between asking, is this it, and declaring with an exclamation point, this is it. And the reason why you're in the room today is because you refuse to think that this is it, that this is all that your life is going to be, that this is the summation of the impact you're going to have because something inside of you says there's got to be more. Something inside of you says you were made for something bigger and for something better and for something greater. There's something deep down inside of you that says, I can't just do average. I can't just do mundane. I can't just do status quo. I can't just wake up and go nine to five and get a picket fence. There's got to be more than just living and paying taxes taxes and dying and dedicating babies and going to funerals. There's got to just be more than our positions and our possessions and our platforms. There's got to be more than just the stinking stuff that is dirt that's fading away every single, there's got to be more. And you're in the room today because you know there's something more for you to have, for you to be, for you to do. And even if you have no reference point for the Bible or Jesus or God or Christianity and you're in the room today, you're here for the same reason, searching for something more because the Bible tells us that God placed eternity in the hearts of every man and woman, which means you did not know it, but he placed this big hole in your heart called forever, called eternal. And literally he's crafted you with forever in mind. And so when you're looking at the, the small finite, you know you were made for the infinite. You were made for this desire with this design. And you know there's got to be more because we were made with more in mind. You make no mistake, friend. God never made you for less. God did not mark you and make you for insignificance. God made you and designed mankind with more in mind. Now, I don't have time to go through the whole genesis of humanity, and most of you, this would be elementary for you, but don't miss the revelation within the simplicity of it. And for those of you who don't know it, do your own biblical due diligence and read the full narrative. But what I can tell you and what the Bible has orchestrated and, 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 and dictates the architecture of how this whole thing started, what the Bible tells us is that at some point before there was ever this world and trees and bees and mountains and molehills, before any of this exists, there is this battle that takes place in heaven. There's this angel called Lucifer who's this anointed cherub who literally brought the clouds to attention in worship. And one day, Isaiah 14 actually gives account of this. He says, I will make myself like the Most High God. He says, I will ascend to the highest mountain of Zaphron. I want all the worship. I want all the praise. And he actually says these words, I will. The devil said, I will make myself, the word is like God. And that word like in the Bible actually means to carry the image of, to resemble, to be like, to have its essence. So Lucifer at some point was like, I'm tired of praising you. I want the praise to come to me, which is the fall of all mankind, by the way. I'm tired of worshiping God. I want, I want to be God. And he goes, and I want to be like God without God. And there's this battle in heaven. And make no mistake so I can make sure you have the right theology. God and the enemy were not fighting. You need to know this. It wasn't like God's like, oh my God, 12th round Rocky, where Adrian, like, he wasn't like coming. He's not the underdog. Okay? He has no equal. He has no rival. There's none that can compete. There's none that can compare. There's none that can stand next to. He was never for one moment nervous on the ropes, being like, I hope I can come back. 
It was angels fighting angels. And then God stands up and stands in and says, all right, we're done. And he sends the devil, Lucifer, now Satan, to this planet with one-third of the angels as punishment. I want you to get this. You got to read. I don't have time to tell you all of this, but it's the Bible. You got to read it. As punishment. He did not send him here to be his playground. This was not to be his paradise. He was actually sent here for the final act of judgment and punishment. And he gets sent to this earth, which Genesis 1 describes as chaotic and formless and void. It is a dry, chaotic, form. there was no rhyme, there was no reason, there was no time, there was no season. And the devil and these fallen angels, now demons, are occupying the dirt. And Genesis tells us at some point God shows up, the spirit begins to hover over the waters, and then he just starts creating this masterpiece called the world and humanity. He's like stars in the sky, birds, now you can fly, land go here, water go here, you know, trees, be like, it just goes wild and he's creating this world. Now I need you to know that the enemy who occupied this dirt before God showed up did nothing with the dirt. He didn't make a single thing. Didn't even make a pile of dirt. He couldn't even stack it up together. He doesn't make one thing. He builds nothing. He establishes nothing. Because you need to understand that the devil has no creative ability. All the devil can do is distort what's already been created. Which is why everything he tries to introduce is a diminished, demented, destructive version of what God divinely designed. Which is why the greatest lies are laden with some real truth. Because if it's just a lie with no truth, you'd never believe it. He has to use what God made to actually make man make a mistake. So he does nothing with dirt, which you need to understand, which is why creation is his prison. Like he's stuck in this dirt doing nothing with his dirt, and all of a sudden it's like mountains around you, beautiful landscape, trees, palm trees, evergreens, you know, birds. Like it's, everything in creation is a reminder to him that he could do nothing without God. And then God being the OG gangster that he is. <laughs> the Bible tells us he takes the very, he takes the dirt. He takes the essence of the world the enemy was stuck in. Wow. Begins to form this Arnold Schwarzenegger body with the traps in the back. And, you know, perfect. You know, just starts stacking it together. And then he says these words which caused the enemy to shake and shudder today as it did that day. Because the enemy is only stuck there because he wanted to be like God, carry the image of God, resemble God, have the essence of God without God. And now God took the very fabric, the essence of the world the devil could do nothing with. And he doesn't speak us into existence. He breathes us into existence, which is so significant. I'll take time for this service because it couldn't even first service. The difference between the spoken word and being breathed into existence is very significant because when God speaks something to existence, that word creates the reality in which it lives but the limit in which it can exist. Sorry for going so deep, it's an intelligent crowd. So when he said tree, when he said the word tree, his word created the whole genetic makeup of a tree, but it also limited what a tree would be because he called it tree. So when he said mountain, mountain could never be, you know, an, an animal because I called it mountain. And my word alone created the reality in which that thing could live, but the limit in which it can exist. So he literally goes tiger, and tiger is never going to be bear because he called it tiger. He confined it and defined it. But when it comes to humanity, he doesn't speak us into existence. He breathes us into existence, which is why monkey, by the way, could never be man because monkey was spoken into existence, but mankind was breathed into existence. He gives us his very creative voice inside of us. And then he says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he says, let us make man. Wait, wait, wait. 
What did you want, devil? Oh, you want, I mean, you got, this is all about his punishment. What do you want? Oh, you wanted to be like me, carry the image of me, but you didn't want me. Cool, cool, cool. I'm sending you to this planet as punishment. It's not your paradise. I'm going to take the very essence of the world you could do nothing with. I'm going to not speak it into existence, so I'm not going to confine it or define it. I'm going to breathe it into existence, and then I'm going to say, let us make man in our image. You know the devil's got to be like, what? The very thing I wanted to be, the thing I was trying to be, the reason why I'm stuck here, you're taking the very fabric and the essence of the world I'm stuck with, and then you're giving that dirt your image, which means on your worst day, friend, I'm going to help some people out. When you wake up and you've hit every branch on the ugly tree on the way down, when you got acne and back knee and, you know, it's just a broken everything day, everything's bad about it, right? You'd ne there's no pictures being taken that day. You're exhausted. You haven't slept. There's bag under your eyes. You're worn out. You're tired. When you drag your body out of bed and stand up, your face alone is a reminder to the enemy of his greatest defeat. If, if you only understood... Why do you think there is such an attack? Girls, you want to know the number one attack on your life is your identity, your image. He wants you to hate the way you look, be frustrated with your image, because he wants to disconnect you with the very power you live in every day, which your face alone is a reminder to the enemy of his greatest defeat. Your face alone reminds him that he's defeated. Your face alone reminds him that you're victorious. Your face alone reminds him that God's already won. Look at the two things he attacks the most, his church and his people. He's attacked your identity and your voice. The first two things God gave you, he wants to take from you. He wants to disconnect you from the power of knowing how you were made and what you can say. And then he says to us in Genesis 1.28, after he creates us, sorry to go through the, the, the biblical history, he says, hey, this is epic. He like looked at it, he's like, this is good, this is epic. Uh, hey, you guys, be fruitful, multiply, Subdue the earth and have dominion over all of it. He designed us with more in mind. I'm taking you from nothing. I'm giving you everything. My breath, my authority, my image. And then I'm saying, you know what? Just be fruitful. Multiply. You like the fruit? You're running around naked? Do more of that stuff. Who's that big? And somehow on this journey of God introducing us to his best, we settled for man's less. He gave us everything and hooked it up. And we said, I think our way might be better. And we missed the mark. And missing the mark, friend, I want you to hear this, is how I, Jedediah, define sin. Sin, for me, is not corruption, envy, jealousy, greed, war, famine, murder. That's not, that's not sin for me. That is the symptoms of sin. That is the symptoms of humanity missing the mark. And we get so caught up in talking about people's symptoms as the sin, instead of just saying, how can we get you back to the mark? Now, if you don't believe me theologically, the Bible says this just to defend my case. I came prepared in case you were wondering. It says to him that knows to do good and does not do it. This is the Bible. To him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is Wow, we got a lot of Bible readers here. It's sin. Now, here's what's crazy. When you read this stuff, you get, I, get, I read the Bible literally, and I kind of get jacked up. I'm like, wait a second. I didn't do bad. I didn't do evil. But you're calling it sin? 
I, I might not have helped that person I knew I should have, but I didn't hurt them. I might not have tithed when I knew I was supposed to, but I didn't take from the bucket. You know, I might not have forgiven that person, but I haven't cursed that person. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. There's a mark. And if you know this is the mark and you settle for less than the mark, it's sin. If you know to do good and you decide not to do good, it's called missing the mark. And that is actually sin. So we missed the mark. And here's what's crazy about our God. He said, you settled for less. I'm still going to give you my best. You, you missed the mark. I'm going to reinstate a relationship with you to get us back on track to what I originally designed, which is why when Jesus shows up, John 10, 10 says these words as he clarifies his intentions. He clarifies his intentions and he says it this way. He, he says in, sorry, I'm blanking out here in my verse here. He says, thank you. It's on the screen. The enemy comes to kill, still really very easy. The enemy comes to kill, still and destroy. But I have come to give you life and this life more abundantly. So he, he clarifies his intentions. Hey, I know we messed it all up. The enemy's come to kill, still and destroy. But I have come to give you life and to give you that life more abundantly. Now, here's what he's really saying. I've come to give you life, which is more. Because you have no life, you have less. And now you have life, you have more. So he goes, I've come to give you life, a.k.a. more, and I've come to give you that life more abundantly, which he's basically saying, I've come to give you more and more of the more, more often, because abundantly is just another word for more. So Jesus is showing up in John 10 saying, hey, listen, the enemy just wants you to have less and less of the less all the time. But if you want to know who God is, if you want to know the God this church believes in, we believe that God says, I want to give you more, and I want to give you more of that more, more often. I want to give you that life, and I want to give you more of that life, more abundantly. In a secret, the secret to us living this, I don't know if anyone wants the more, or desperate for more, or needs the more, but the secret to this more of this life and more of it more often is found in the first message that Jesus ever preached. It's a very significant message because although I might have worked on this message for weeks, he was working on that message for centuries. The God who gave mouse the ability to move and turn mumbling into something that has meaning. That God was in heaven with his Father and the Holy Spirit drafting the perfect message. And it's the first thing he's going to preach. you got to imagine for centuries, he's just sitting there in eternity being like, what am I going to come back and say? He knew what he was going to come back and do, but what am I come back? To, what am I going to come back and say? And the Bible tells us that this first message, which is in Matthew four seventeen, is his primary message. The Bible actually said Jesus began to preach this everywhere, and then he'd say he took this to the synagogues and to the towns and to the temples, and he preached this everywhere. It's his first message. It's a powerful message. He shows up. It's like this is the message he took on tour, like those guys who preach one message everywhere and then write a book. That's what Jesus did. He's like, hey, I'm taking this message everywhere, and then I'm giving you the Bible. Bestseller all time. And this first message is Matthew 4, 17, and the Bible says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach everywhere. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No one's excited. We were all hoping, even me, although I knew I was headed, I was hoping it was going to be different this time, too. I was like, maybe it's a different first message. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. So he's preaching everywhere. He's on a soapbox all through the towns and through the crowds. Repent. 
Now, no one in this room's excited about this message. And to be honest, most of you didn't even know it was his first message because it's just something we read and then move on to the better stuff, like John 3, 16. Like, wasn't that the first message? Like, no one, because we don't know what this means. For many of you, and you might have just heard it for the first time, the way your brain processed it, how I grew up hearing it, is that Jesus came down from this holy high horse and came among the peasant people and said these words, stop sinning. Because I'm here. I'm holy. Stop sinning. Because I'm here. And he's running around everywhere and be like, hey, I got good news for you. Stop sinning. <laughs> Epic news. I'm back. Stop sinning. Because I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Many people believe this is what Jesus was saying. Now, you need to understand, knowing Jesus was the master of contextualization, understanding how to communicate to his audience through parables and stories and farming analogies, for him to show up to lost people who had no religious reference point for sin, the fall of man, the journey of the Jews, like for everyone that was not the Jews, none of this would have made any sense. It would have actually been culturally irrelevant and, to be honest, culturally ignorant. If he was walking up, walking in a, it's just like us talking to people who don't know Jesus saying, hey, stop sinning. You're like, what the heck's that? Yeah. Like, why are you talking about the symptom? Why don't we just say, hey, there's a bigger mark? Yeah. Like, hey, stop doing this. No, no, no. Let's try this. Let's try this thing. Jesus, Jesus was not showing up and saying, stop sinning. Now, I will say, for those of you that are thinking, the word repent does mean to ask forgiveness from sins. Yeah. Repent does mean that you're headed in one direction and you're turning 180 degrees to another direction. It basically means you've identified this as your mark, and when you repent, you're actually establishing that God is the mark. It's, it's turning from something and for something. He didn't just save us from sin. He saved us for life. But in this translation, the word repent means most change the way you think. Change your operating system. If you don't believe me, go look at like Eliah Lexicon, do your biblical due diligence. He actually was showing up everywhere and saying, change the way you think, change the way you perceive, change the way you operate, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which by definition, if you're okay teaching me the Bible, teaching you the Bible, the word kingdom means the authority, the territory, and the rule of a king. And the word in heaven, heaven is defined as the place consummately perfect where God dwells. And the definition of is at hand means literally being brought for me to you now. So this is actually what, this is actually what Jesus was saying everywhere. You got it. She's in the front row. Got it right here. She's going to come up here and take the mic from me. If I don't be careful, I'm going to come over here. You're about to grab it. He was walking everywhere saying these words. First message, main message, message he preached everywhere. Change your mindset. Think differently, guys, because my power, my authority, the territory in which I rule over in heaven, the place consummately perfect where God dwells, is being brought from me to you right now. Change your mindset. Think differently. My power, my authority, the territory in which I rule over, and the place consummately perfect where God dwells is being brought from me to you right now. Not later, not next year, not when you figured out your prayer life, not when you've got, you know, streaks on your Bible reading plan. He literally said, right now which is why blind eyes were opened, the deaf were healed, the dead were raised, supernatural prosperity everywhere. Why? Because he brought the reality of heaven to earth immediately. And then he preaches about the kingdom everywhere. You might not know this, but the kingdom message dominates all of the parables, and it's the highest percentage of things talks about any topic in, 
in the entire Bible connected to Jesus, which was a reminder to me, like as I was preparing for this, God just said, hey, I want to remind you about something, remind my church about something, especially post-COVID, because in COVID, we, we got weird. <laughs> we all did. And if you were like, no, I didn't get weird, you were the weirdest. Like you, you're like, I wasn't weird, you were probably crazy. Like if you didn't think you were weird. We all got weird, right? We got weird. The church got weird. I'm not saying this church, the big church got weird. We didn't know what to talk about. We didn't know what she should sound like. We didn't know what our message was anymore. We didn't know what our mission was anymore. We got lost in the chaos and the pandemic and the elections. And we literally sounded like the world and were hopeless like the world and had the same fears as the world and anxiety and anxiousness like the world. Like we literally, we got weird. Did we not in this, in this pandemic? Like we literally, we got crazy when it came to COVID and God wanted to remind us. He said, listen, the church started trying to build something I'm not building during the pandemic. Because I want the church to know, I want the families to know that I'm only building one thing on this planet, and it's my kingdom. I'm not building a business, and I'm not building a building, and I'm not building a political party. Hey, let the church know they forgot I'm not a Republican, and I'm not a Democrat, and they forgot I'm also not an American. I'm actually God, and I didn't come 2,000 years ago to build a social enterprise, or to build a tech platform, or to build industry, or to build better economics, or even establish a government. I came as the king, and I came to build one thing, and the only thing I'm building is my kingdom. It's the only thing he's building. A friend, I'm not saying that your business is, isn't a part of the kingdom or that your family's not a part of the kingdom or that your talents, your skill sets, your creative contribution to society is not a part of the kingdom or that your plans aren't a part of the kingdom. They are. They're just not the point. So I want to let you know the point of your business is not so that you're rich or that you're successful, the point of your business is that the kingdom is built. The point of your, your family is not just to have a great family. The point of your family is to build the kingdom. The point of your talents is to build the kingdom. The point of your job is to build the kingdom. The point of your relationships is to build the kingdom. All of this has been leveraged to simply build the kingdom. And the good news is, is that when you build the kingdom, you get caught up in something that's always advancing. Because the Bible tells us in Matthew, it says that from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has been advancing, violently taking ground. Which means, friend, when you spend your life, your business, your time building the kingdom, it doesn't mean there's not opposition or difficulty or challenges or trials. It just means that no matter what, you're going to move forward. Like, because God's not surprised. Like, here's a, here's a great way to look at it. I think so many people, when COVID happened, they thought Jesus and God were taken by surprise. Like, Fauci makes the announcement, and, like, Jesus kicks into the throne room. He's like, God, do you know what's on TV right now? <laughs> Pandemic! I didn't see it. What are we going to do? The church can't meet on Sundays now. Oh, no! <laughs> like, literally, we thought they lost their minds up there. And God's like, no, no, like... Yeah, you know, you know, through wars and famines and persecutions and people being hung at stakes and torn apart by lines, you know that my kingdom has never stopped advancing from day one? In fact, with religious oppression, it grows. In wars, it grows. In famines, it grows. In pandemic, it, it actually does better when things get worse. Because my strength perfected in your weakness. Constantly moving if you want a cheat sheet this is a cheat code friend if you want a cheat code to your life just just connect it to building the kingdom 
It doesn't matter what job you have or career you have. That's all going to change. You're just going to do whatever you can to build your kingdom. In God's kingdom, you're going to find your life constantly advancing as this kingdom continues to advance. There's not one moment that the kingdom has stopped. And when I get connected to this thing, committed to this thing, it continues to move my life forward. So if it's about the kingdom and the kingdom's a cheat code to moving my life forward, it should be something we focus on. Like more than a little. It should be something we consider constantly, right? There's a reason why Matthew, and I love the way he says it, says these words in verse 30 and 31 of chapter 6. He says, therefore, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Because this is what we think about in California. Right? It's like the 50% of our conversation is like, hey, when are we going to wear tonight? And like, where are we going to eat? I did sushi yesterday and I don't want that. Like, I don't care. Sorry, I don't know. I don't do that voice normally ever. It just came out in this service in the first service. But it's kind of like what the nasally Christian sounds like in SoCal out times. Like, oh my God, what are we wearing? And where are we going? And what are we eating? Like, oh, my whole life is like, don't look at her or him, okay? Just don't look right now. I was like, that's Teresa, you know? I was like, it says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. This is what the world seeks. But he says, for your, but your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. It's the good news. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? Guys, this is a gangster verse. He says, he says, listen, you could seek all of these things, but you might not get any of them. But if you seek the main thing, my kingdom, all these things you'll get. And I have friends that spend all their time seeking the other things and lose everything, especially the kingdom. Got the job, lost their wife, got the money, lost their kids, you know, got the title, lost their identity or security or their peace. They lost everything. But I don't know anyone that's just seeking the kingdom that loses their wife, loses their car, loses their kids, loses their dog. It's not a country song. But the, but the trick is, I got to go fast. You guys are making this fun. The trick is in the verse... Seek me So let's make it super practical since we're having an honest moment in humanity together. What are you tomorrow going to seek first? Listen, I'm not talking about length. I'm not talking about religious ritual. I'm not saying, well, how long are you going to spend time with God tomorrow? I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, what's the first thing you're going to do tomorrow? When you wake up, what's the first thing you do? Is it Instagram account? Is it your Twitter feed? Is it CNN? Is it Fox? Is it your bank account? Is it your work emails? Is it your text thread? Is this what going on with crypto? Like, what are you, is it, and maybe you wake up at 6.30, you got to watch a Netflix show. Like, I don't know. Like, what are you seeking first? And all I would encourage you to, just try it through the summer. Even if you don't know who God is, just try it through the summer. Just wake up, and the first thing you do is go, you. You. Like, that's it. Like, I want to make it so easy. Like, wait, it's you. Uh, you first. Your kingdom. Like, I'm just, it's, it's that simple. We've made it so complicated. Like, I wake up and my spirit just goes up. Like, I'm getting up and be like, oh, it's, this is the thing that matters. And then all these other things will fall in line. So I just want to encourage you. Seek him first.
And then I would also say, seek him most. And this is what this means to me, because I grew up in all the religious oppression, right? This is what seeking him most means to me. It kind of reminds me of when, you know, you're single and you're ready to get married. Not single and ready to mingle, single and ready to get married. You know, like, in fact, how many single people do you have? I just want to help you out, make your life easy. Just quickly, hands up high. Hands up high, look around. She's got a Bible in her hand. He's got a Bible with highlighters, just helping you. The person here for the first time, like, this is the weirdest dating experience I've ever. <laughs> Especially at church, guys, we know. Like when single, when you're ready to get married, I'm not talking about just date, but you're ready to get married. Everyone that comes in that is alone or looks single, like we've identified and taken notes. And like third song, both hands were raised. He had tears coming down. Right that guy. Look at her. Oh, look at her. She's, she's on her knees during the prayer moment. Like we're all like, oh, it really loves Jesus, right? Basically, when you're single and ready to get married, you're looking at everyone as a potential mate. You know what I'm talking about? He could be, and then like once you see a potential mate, then you check out the mom, right? What leads you to the guy? It's like, or the dad, well, what do you look like in 25 years? You know, did your stock go up, right? Let's be honest. I'm a real human, guys. And then if not, let's faith it. You know, like the stock one, let's faith it. You know, like. Got to get out. Got to get out of this. Got to get out now. Belling out. <laughs> Basically, you're looking at everyone as this could be it. And that's what seeking the kingdom most means for me. Yeah. It's literally looking at every moment and just asking, is this a kingdom moment? Yeah. Hey, my coworkers opening up about their marriage. First time ever. Instead of just being cold and closed off because I don't know them, is this a kingdom moment? Yeah. Hey, someone's broken down on the side of the road. Like, I'm gonna, I could just drive by or at least ask. Is this a kingdom moment? Like, I know some people have an issue giving money to homeless. Like, that's your issue, that's your issue. But you should ask, is this a kingdom moment? You should at least ask the question. Like, don't just say, I never love those people. I never talk to these people. I never help these people. I never open up to these people. Well, you should at least be going, is this a kingdom moment? Hey, that girl's crying on the airplane next to me. Is this a kingdom moment? Hey, there's someone that's texting me that hasn't. Is this a kingdom moment? Hey, I randomly thought of a friend I haven't talked to in 10 years. Is this a kingdom moment? I'm looking for kingdom moments everywhere is that the kingdom is this the kingdom seek it first and seek it most which is why when he sent us to the planet he didn't send us as ceos he didn't give us the title of second grade teacher or firefighter or electrician or plumber he didn't give us the title of stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad he didn't give us the title of president or mayor or governor he didn't send us with those earthly titles he sent us to the planet, the Bible says, as an ambassador. Ambassador, by definition, is the highest representative of authority sent from a foreign land for a very specific diplomatic purpose. I'm going to say that again. I didn't make it up. That's actual definition. He says, I am sending you for this life of more, and the way I'm going to do it is what I authorize you as in this conversation. You're not a CEO, you're not an executive, you're not a creator, you're not a writer, you're not a mom, you're not a dad, you're not a teacher, you're an ambassador. You're the highest representative authority sent from a foreign land for a very specific diplomatic purpose. Which means when you show up to teach those second graders, don't be mistaken. They don't just have a teacher. They have the highest representative authority sent from a foreign land, heaven, to that classroom to bring the kingdom to that classroom. 
please don't reduce yourself to a stay-at-home mom. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. You're the highest representative of authority sent to that home, sent to those kids, sent to that community for a very specific diplomatic purpose. You're not just a writer or a creator or an all-star athlete or a three-letterman or the star cheerleader. That's the earthly stuff. You're an ambassador. You're the highest representative authority sent to that school, sent to that team, sent to that industry, sent to that place and that space to be the highest representative authority from a foreign land for a very specific diplomatic purpose. You know, I'm in a season of life where we talk to a lot of people of extreme influence and affluence and a lot of people, I even feel weird saying it to be honest, but there's just people with like bees behind their wealth, like multiple bees, bees as in billions like tons, of, and they're not all believers. Like, you know, we've sat with some people of extreme wealth that don't know God at all. And, but they're looking at some of the stuff we're doing. And I remember my wife being like, do you ever feel nervous in these conversations? I'm like, why? He's like, well, you're talking to so-and-so and he's worth this many billion. And like, is that intimidating? And I remember one conversation with my wife and I don't want to sound arrogant, but I was like, is that all that you're going to be? She's like, well, excuse me? I was like, that's the summation of wealth that will never come within the heaven. Like that's not the highest title in my book. A billionaire, a president, a CEO, like that's cool, but I'm an ambassador. The highest representative authority sent to that man or that woman for this conversation for a very specific difference. I'm the highest representative here. He just has money. I have something that will make a difference. secrets as we close to um, to having this life of the more of the more and more of the more more often to live in this life as the highest representative authority one of the secrets it's another life hack in my mind it's a cheat code sorry if that word's inappropriate that's how I see this stuff is found in the first word of the first message Jesus ever preached change he said repent which means change he literally was running around everywhere going change and it makes so much sense the more you know him. His ways on our ways, his thoughts on our thoughts. This is an upside down, inside out kingdom. The first or last, the last or first, the weakest or the strongest. He uses the foolish things to shame the wise. Like when you think about this kingdom, it makes like the way God works, it makes a lot of sense. Like your operating system don't work here. Like give and more will be given. Like surrender and it's gonna be better. Like it's just like it doesn't, he's like change, change. And I realize that for us as a church, we have to change. Because practically, the people who will lead the future are not the ones who know the most, but can change the fastest. The leaders of tomorrow, of the church, are not the ones who know the most and become experts in a conversation that's no longer culturally relevant in an echo chamber of amends. That won't work. What's going to work are the people that are willing to change the fastest. And our ability to change is connected to our ability to endure the process. And if we abort the process, we'll never receive God's promise. Because he takes us from, it says the Bible says he changes us from glory to glory. He, he didn't take us to glory to glory. He doesn't journey you from one destination to the next. He changes you from one glory to the next. So he says, here's this glory, salvation. I'm gonna take you through a process. You're gonna change, you're gonna get a new glory, epic. You know what happens next? Process, change, new glory. You know what happens next? Process, change, which means if you're in process, you're actually in promise. 
because that is. But we got to change. And I sat, I sat with God and I said, God, I'm going to come to this part of this message and all I can do is yell change a bunch, but I don't think it's going to work. Higher volumes, different cadence, unique voices, line people up. We're all going to yell change at the same person. Hopefully it changes them. How many times have we looked at our spouses and just said, change, 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 right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We tried, right? Don't look at him. Don't look at her. He's not talking about you, babe. Go ahead. And I said, God, what do I do here at this part of the message? He said, Jedediah, how did you change? And there's a lot of moments, but the biggest moment that he reminded me of is a moment where I was uh, sitting at home. I started falling in love with Jesus again. Started falling in love with people. I was a businessman. I never wanted to do ministry. I just wanted to be wealthy, being honest, and write large tithe checks, and that was it. Never do this ever. And I was in this prayer time, and he looked at me, and he said, you're building your own kingdom. And I laughed. Uh, I mean, literally laughed. I was like, God of humor. You've mastered comedy. You know, facts. Because I was like, God, I mean, look at, first of all, I'm, talking to you right now like building my own kingdom I'm seeking you first in the morning I was like I go to church every Sunday I don't want to do that I did that my whole life I tithe and I give hello like I'm like and I'm up here God and I worked in the nursery for a few years I don't even have kids or like them at that time I was like now I've reluctantly said yes to starting a small group it's like 90 young adults in my home I'm like God it looks like I'm building your kingdom and he said these words no Jedediah you're building facets of my kingdom around you as king so it looks like you're building my kingdom, but homie, you're on the throne. You put me on for a few moments in the morning, then you take me off, then it's your talent, your skill set, your ability, your ability to sell, your, your drive, it's your control, it's your agenda, it's your ego, it's your dreams, it's your design. And then you come home and you go, I love you, God, and you put me back on the throne and go to sleep, and you do this over and over and over again. And then I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, get off the throne. And I said, how do I do that? And he goes, you need to surrender your seat. You need to surrender. It's almost like you need to dethrone yourself. Because you've been, all of us have been building this world around us. And he's like, you need to dethrone yourself and surrender. And that started the journey, friend, of me letting go of pride and letting go of ego. And I would really say the journey of me starting to lose my life. And the crazy thing is, if I know most of you in the room, when I say surrender, lose your life, or lay it all down, we're afraid. We're deathly afraid of what that is. I heard it my whole life in church, and I was like, heck no, am I doing that? Like, there's no way that I'm going to just surrender, trust, lay it all down. But I started the journey of losing my life. You know what I lost? I lost the need to compete. I lost the need to compare. I lost having to play the world's games, the world ways. I lost valuing myself in this false economy of posts and likes and comments and amens and praise. You know what I lost? My ego. You know what I lost? My agenda. You know what I lost? Every dream that was not in God's mind for my life. I lost anxiety. I, I lost fear. I lost a lot of hate and a lot of anger. I lost that old life. And then I found, you know what I found? I found myself in rooms and conversations. I mean, this one's good enough but conferences and conversations with kings and presidents and influencers and billionaires. And you're like, people will be like, how'd you get in the room? And I was like, I don't know. I've just been losing my life. I gave him my breath and I gave him my steps and I gave him my home and I gave him my heart and I gave him my kids and I gave him everything. And it wasn't 
wasn't because I needed anything. It's because I had everything in Him. And then I found myself. It's basically, and we'll end with this. It's Matthew 10, 39. The Bible says, whoever finds their life will lose it. We have a whole world trying to find their life. And every time they grab a hold of it, it slips away. But then he says, but whoever loses their life for my sake, find it. I'm going to ask you guys in a moment to consider losing your life. For some of you, it's again. For some of you, it's for a first time. I'm going to ask you to consider losing your life. And the reason why you wouldn't say yes to that, if I could be honest, is because we really just don't trust God. Now, I'm not saying you. I'm sitting with you, please. I'm not saying, hey, you don't trust God. We, collectively, don't trust God. If we're being honest, we trust God with the infinite but not the finite. We trust Him with the eternal but not the earthly. Or the, We trust Him with forever but not right now. Think about it. Most of this room believes that we said a 60-second prayer. It's crazy. With a small seed of faith. And that little prayer washed all our sins away. Past, present, and future have given us a seat at the table as Christ. He's given us access to heaven forever in these crazy glorified bodies with a bunch of people we've never seen and angels we've never sang with and a God we've never met some, most of us face to face. And we believe that. But we say tithe, like can't do it. We say date who God wants, can't do it. We say forgive, can't do it. Like we literally go, I'll be with you forever, but right now, you're not gonna come through. We don't trust them. And can I tell you something? Because I spend some time with non-Christians, they know we don't. We're looking at the world going, trust Jesus, trust Jesus, trust Jesus, and they're going, but you don't. You don't, you don't. You sound like us, you look like us, you have the same fears of us, you have the same anxiety as us. You're betting the way we're betting, you're hoarding the way we're hoarding, you're preserving the way we're preserving, you're playing the same economy. What do you mean trust Jesus? We don't. And it's okay that you don't. The reason why we don't trust Jesus is because someone in our life gave us a reason not to trust, period. I have, I have some kids, and um, all of my kids, I do this, like, jump into the pool thing or jump off the stair thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're on the end of, like, a five-foot thing. You're like, I'll catch you. Well, they're still small, okay? <laughs> I'll catch you. And maybe some of the young ones, like, in the beginning might be a little hesitant, but once they jump and they get caught, like, my kids jump off everything and anything. They actually trust Dad too much. They run into my house and randomly do trust falls. Like, Dad, here I am. Like, just going back. And I'm like, I'm not there, bro. I wasn't there. Like, you didn't let us know. No one knew what you were doing, right? Got to give a signal. Like, a five-minute flare's got to go up. Like, random trust falls are just going back. They jump and jump and jump and jump. And because they trust me, because I've never let them go. But at some point in our life, in your life, someone who was supposed to catch you dropped you it would have been a spouse it would have been a friend it would have been an ex it would have been a coach it would have been a teacher it would have been your old pastor or someone in ministry or someone you followed someone who you thought was going to catch you dropped you and built the case for you to never trust really anyone again 
And by default, God falls into that category. You don't trust him because someone dropped you. And I showed up today to let you know he never will. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never walk off. He'll never turn your back on you. He'll never give you something you cannot handle, a trial or a test that you cannot persevere through. He's with you always and forever. That's why when he came, he sent him as the God who is with us. He implicitly trusts you, which is why he gave us the keys and said, I'll wait till you're ready to come back. What I'm asking this church to do, you to do, your family to do today, is choose to fully trust Him. Now, some of you trust Him in some things, but not all things. Some of you, you trust Him in everything, but that one thing. Maybe a future spouse, maybe a job, maybe it's your finance, whatever it is. But today I'm asking you to consider surrendering your life. If you want to find the life of more of the more and more of the more often, come lose your life with me. Someone asked me the other day, what are you doing in 10 years, Jed? I said, I have no clue, but I do know it's going to look like losing my life. I personally cannot give my life away fast enough to God. I can't. You want to know what I'm going to be doing? Somewhere around the world, losing my life, finding a better life than I could have ever imagined. And I'm asking you today, if you're ready to lose your life, to surrender your life and decide in that issue, in that area, with that problem, I'm now going to trust you again or trust you for the first time. If that's you, would you stand to your feet right now? If you're saying, I'm ready to lose my life again or for the first time, I'm ready to trust you. If that's you. If we could, as you're standing, if you could just make your way, there's so many people, but let's just make a move somewhere. Maybe move there, maybe move here, maybe come down. Let's just respond. If you're standing and you're saying, Jedediah, this is me. I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to lay it down. Come find yourself at the altar. Find yourself on the side. Let's just begin as an act of faith. Come on, let's begin to move. Let's worship.
enter into this this moment of ministry and uh, obviously if you, if you got to go I respect this sunny Sunday um, I might not do this again for a while so I took 22 messages and made one um, but what's happening upstate if you could for those of you sitting up there if you could see some of the faces up front there's is a divine moment taking place our journey with Jesus really starts when we say the words I trust you And I want for each of you to just think of that thing. You know where that area is. There's certain areas that go, I trust you here, but I have a hard time here. I trust you in the miracles 90 days out. I have a hard time when it's nine hours out. I trust you when you give me a prophetic word and it's six months later. It's become really hard because it's six years later. I want you to find that thing. And the prayer I want, whatever that dialogue is, it's probably three simple words and it's just looking at it and then saying, I trust you. Whatever that is, just take a moment. It's future success, next opportunity, who you're gonna marry, if you have kids, will you get healed? Will you find purpose? Will you ever find peace? Will you ever sleep a full night? Whatever it is, will you ever get off the scripts? Whatever it is, God, we lose our life. We lose our life. I right now with this company of men and women young and old, commit to giving you my life again. I'm not talking about eternity. I'm talking about eternity coming to the earth. Heaven being a part of every day. So we give you our lives. We give you our breaths. We give you our steps. We give you our minutes, our moments. We give you our memories and our future memories. God, I give you my children and my children's children. This is all yours. As we're just in this time, just gonna pray for a few groups of people. Who's here, no desire to embarrass anybody, and you didn't have to respond, but who would here to say, and I'll make it very broad and then specific so you can feel safe. Who is here simply saying, I'm ready to have a kid, I wanna have a kid, and you're married. And you wanna, you got someone to have that kid with. And then second, you don't have to respond yet. Second, you're here, you want a kid. And then the second group, and this is what I'm really going after, but you haven't been able to. Doctors have said, it's not gonna work, or, there's a variant cyst, or there's a tumor, or there's not enough swimmers, whatever it is. And I listen, I love doctor's notice because it just defines the level of miracle God's gonna do. Like faith is not ignoring the facts, it's being completely aware of them and then considering the facts irrelevant. So it's like, I'm aware of it, now I'm aware of God, like great. So doctors said you can't, or you've tried, or you've recently had a miscarriage, or you've had multiple miscarriages, that's what I really feel, but I want it to be broad and you're saying, I, 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 I want to have kids. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? So you want to have, you're ready to have kids right now. It's great. Can we get our hands on this couple right here in the back, these two over here? Who else want to have kids right here? Can we get our hands, you know what we do, right here, this wonderful couple here, right next to you guys. Can we just get our hands on? Anyone else quickly want to have kids, trying to have kids? Maybe couldn't have kids? Anyone else? Let's just take a quick moment. Father God, we just thank you right now for the miracle of new life. God, no matter what the doctors have said, no matter what they have determined, there is God that is the equalizer against all opposition. So I celebrate the miracles that we'll be talking about in the next 10 to 12 months. God, I thank you for those that even the doctors have said, I'm telling you, you've heard the words, it's impossible. 
IBF will not work. And I celebrate that miracle baby that we're going to see in the next 10 to 12 months. Now, in Jesus' name, we speak to every womb. We speak to reproductive orders. We speak new life. We speak more of the more and more of it more often. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just two more groups and then we're going to be done. Um, I want to pray for those who you have a family member yourself have been given a, 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 a statement from the doctor that said it is final. So a disease that's final, cancer that's final, something that will never be, you can't ever fix this. It could be even Alzheimer's or dementia. Like there's just, but like they literally said, this is it. There's no other way around it. No medicine, no help. We can try to treat it, subdue it, but you're probably going to die. It's final or you'll live with this forever. Who would that be? It's like a never changing disability or right here. It's right here. Who else quickly here? Can we get our hands on right here? I'm just telling here. I'm just telling you, you're getting healed, man. You're getting healed. Like healed, healed, healed. Just quickly, quickly. Just quickly right here. Can we make sure everyone, if you don't have anyone with a hand on you, just put your hands up. We get someone right here. I just love this church. We pray for people here. Just a quick mental note as you're praying. The Bible doesn't say pray for the sick. It says heal them. He never asked us to request. He asked us to prophetically declaim and proclare. So God, we know that it is your will for us to live in perfect health. God, and I thank you that everything that is in these bodies, that are in these lives, that is not in alignment with your word, will come into alignment. That does not look like heaven, but come into their body now. Cancer, be gone. I even felt God said, some of you, the doctors have said you have cancer, maybe it's your third time, and like this one's final, and I felt God say, no, this, is, this time cancer's final. It's like the final report of cancer was God letting you know this is the final time you'll talk about cancer ever again, ever again. God, you see learning disorders. God, you see emotional disorders. God, emotional disorders. God, even those that are certain levels of the spectrum, God, diagnosis is like you'll always have sleep apnea or you're always going to have memory loss. Right now in Jesus' name, every sickness and disease must leave this room now. You got to receive that now. In Jesus' name, top of your head to your bottom of your feet. Pain's got to go now. And then lastly, thank you for letting me just do a little ministry. Lastly, it's, it's, it's a combination for one, but really you have not been able to sleep ever on scripts, on pills, haven't slept extreme or extreme anxiety, but it's connected to it. Um, you guys might know, not know this, but one of the number one torture techniques still today is sleep deprivation. And I minister in churches all over and I've never seen a, a church so sleepless. You know what I'm saying? How many friends are like, I can't sleep, I can't sleep anymore, I never can sleep anymore. And I'm like, oh, the enemy's just using this torture technique called sleep deprivation to mess with your biological makeup, your operating systems, how you think, how you function, the ability to make good choices. Tonight, I just felt God say, this will be the best sleep of your life and will continue from here on out. So those of you just haven't been sleeping, never slept well, like literally never. And you've also come to all the prayers and done it. And God just want to let you know, this is the different time. If that's you, just hand raise quickly. Just hand raise quickly. Come on, hands raise quickly. You're going to sleep. You're going to sleep in the amber copy. You're going to sleep. Just letting you know, you're going to sleep. 
going to sleep great. It's going to sleep great. And I don't know what's going on, but there's trauma around your sleep. Whatever that is, there's like some trauma connected to it. I just felt there's some trauma connected to this. So God, you're going to heal her of the trauma and give her the ability to sleep. Whatever that, whatever that light, I just felt it's like there's this friction. There's some trauma, it's traumatic experience. There's a friction. We speak peace to that. Right now, God, we thank you that every storm, every anxiety, every form of depression, we speak peace to right now. And I just feel God saying, for those of you that had sleep, I'm about to, I'm, you're about to enter into heavenly rest. There's about to be a heavenly rest and refreshing that comes over your room, that comes over your home. Some of you are gonna throw pills away because you feel it. Some of you will not need them ever again. It'll just naturally you'll walk away from it. Father God, we thank you right now for sleep. And while we're just in this moment, uh, I'm just gonna end with last. Sorry, we're just sorry for taking the time. If you're here today and you've never uh, you're here today, but you decided to hang out this long and you've never done church before, or you've never liked church, or you've never liked God, or this isn't your thing, you've never experienced His goodness or His grace, you've never experienced what us believers would call this incredible joy of being forgiven. When He takes your worst and gives you His best, or He takes all your pain and your problems and your shame and your ability to miss the mark, and He gives you His plan, His promise, His salvation, sanctification. He gives you his love and his joy. And it's nothing you can work for, or earn, or deserve. It's just different than how the world does it. Every other religion, you got to work for what you get. In this religion, God did it all. You just got to receive what he's trying to give. And if that's you today, you want to receive this. It's a gift, guys. You want to receive this gift of grace. You want to try it out. I know that sounds horrible. It's like some people can't make long-term commitments to anything, let alone a God they're just starting to talk with. Maybe you got to try this thing out. Forgiveness, surrender. Trust me, you won't, once you try it out, you won't stop. But if that's you, I want to help you by just saying a quick prayer. You're going to say it out loud and just say it after me. Just repeat these words and believe it in your heart. If, that, if you're ready to receive this gift of grace, you need his help. Would you just say these words, dear Jesus, I need you today. I've made some mistakes. I've messed up. I sure do need your help. Would you come into my life today? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me brand new? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. From this moment forward, I'm yours and you're mine. Would you be my Lord and be my Savior? In your name we pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no desire to embarrass anyone here at Ocean's Church. But if you're saying, Jedediah, I wanted to say that prayer, I needed to say that prayer, I meant it when I said that prayer. Doesn't mean you've got it all figured out, friend. Doesn't mean you won't make another mistake. Doesn't mean you even understand it all. Let's just be honest. But you're saying, in view of what God did for me,
And what I experienced today, I needed that prayer. I meant it when I said that prayer. I received this gift of his grace today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and let me know who you are? Just no one's looking around me. You can see that hand, 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 hand. See that hand, see that hand. Come on, anyone in the back needed to say that prayer, meant it when you said that prayer. See that hand, see that hand. Come on, anyone else? You can put your heads up. Come on, can we just celebrate for a moment? Can we just take a moment to worship everything that God's done, every life that he's changed? Come on, us losing our life and finding ourselves in Christ. Come on, can we just worship for a moment?